it's really important that we work in a business that we love and that the team love. It's all about the people. Um, so it, from a cultural point of view, you know, we've really spent a lot of time on our culture and our values and making sure that we've got a really supportive and um, uh, a culture that that people want to work at. Why would I create a business that I don't enjoy? Why would I create a business that people don't enjoy working at? And, and I know that sounds really obvious to say, but there are many businesses out there that, that aren't enjoyable. And we work in an industry which is enjoyable, um, and but it's putting the support around it as well. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, Matt, I'm doing great. How are you? I am fantastic. Wow. All right. Yeah, <laughs> keep it fresh. A, a note change there, right? A yeah. crescendo, if you will. Uh, it did get yeah. louder. Yeah, a little pitch change there too. Um, I don't know. So, <laughs> I have a question. Okay. When you walk into a facility, a theme park, a family entertainment center, maybe someplace you haven't been before, can you recall a typical emotion that you're feeling? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the emotion aligns with probably what the what the theme is, whether it's a theme park or or even just the the theme of the facility itself. I I, I can tell you here's here's one that comes to mind. Uh, I I've been to Universal Studios Hollywood a couple of times. Have you been there? Oh yes. Yeah. So I've 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 spent many years at Universal Orlando. Been there many many times. But about. 15 years ago, I think was the last time I was at uh, Universal Hollywood. The first time I went there, I was like four years old. The second time was uh, was on a trip uh, in college. And I remember we we got to the park right before the park opened. So they, they kind of led us into the into the entry plaza. And then uh, a, a woman comes out and she looks like um, she looks like a, a production assistant or something like that. And and she said, OK, the 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 director is going to be here soon. And uh, you all need to be in your positions, in your place. Uh, and and ready for the shot. That's how they open the park. Everyone's there, you know. And then she takes like the the board, and she's like, "And action!" And then the universal, the, <laughs> you know, starts yes, playing. Yes. And <clears throat> despite the fact that I, I was working at Universal Studios Florida at the time, so I literally was there every single day, like at park open. But being there, I don't know if it was it was just what they did in Hollywood that I I the emotion that I felt was I was. I was in the movie, right? I was, mm. I was part of it. And I'll, I like, I got, I got goosebumps, right? I'm getting goosebumps even just thinking about it. it's so simple, right? Like it was, it was not, you know, extravagant, you know, at all, but I remember it, it being, um, I don't want to say an emotional experience, even though we're saying <laughs> we're talking about emotions, but it was, I remember it being a really cool feeling. That's really cool. And yeah, you know, it's yeah. it's funny not to get too far into the weeds about Universal, but there is a different feel and maybe because I've worked at Universal in Orlando, there's a different feel I think in Universal in Hollywood where Universal at in Orlando feels like a theme park. Yeah. Universal in Hollywood feels more like it's connected more deeply to making of movies. Agreed. Um and I don't know. I don't know what that makes me feel, but that's that's a that's an observation. But the one of the reasons I'm asking is because our guest today, Don Foot from Catapult, talks a lot about the emotional journey that people go on as they go through attractions, and even to the point of mapping that in their process of creating immersive attractions. Yeah, this is this is a really cool interview. So Don is the, <laughs> the co-founder and CEO of Catapult. Uh, Catapult with a K, uh, based in Derby in the United Kingdom, which uh, I've had the opportunity to visit Derby a couple of times because of a, a former employer from many years ago was uh, was based there. So I went out there a few times. 
And I, you know, we we get to talk all about, you know, how how Dawn uh, formed Catapult with uh, with some friends from from college, and then you know by the by the time they graduated, they had an established business, and then also how they got into the attractions industry, into the the themed entertainment space, and learning about Catapult's journey uh, up till today, and then even how Catapult develops that that culture within their team, and they embrace innovation, and Dawn shares. Uh, all of the values that you know that they embrace to really foster an incredible workplace. And one of the things that I was really fascinated to hear her talk about was how she kind of feels like sk- stakeholder glue, right? Mm-hmm. Where she's she's kind of the 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 piece of the puzzle that holds everything together when it comes to the client and vendors and you know um you know other other professionals and creatives that all have to come together yeah. yeah absolutely that all have to come together to make this entity what it is um and so to to hear her talk about how that how that all has to stick together and their role in that was really interesting and they've even involved the the team members uh, that we don't normally think of of being involved at at that high level of of the process from the master planning standpoint. But but she said, yeah, we you know we we involve them or you know have have involved them in in certain projects. And she shares uh, you know projects that uh, that they've worked on to be able to really engage the the team member experience because as you and I know, we talk you know a lot about about the whether it's the guest experience or the employee experience that that can very much make or break. Uh, the you know the the experience in general and uh, and the importance of that in the in the design in the master planning phase, and I think that speaks to her personal sort of rebellious um, uh, attitude that you'll hear about um, because I think the way she applies it to creativity is really really interesting and that example of bringing in the hosts and hostesses to be a part of the design process because they're going to be part of the operational process you know is in my you know experience really thinking outside of the norm of what most places do now I could be wrong right I haven't spoken to every designer out there um but it feels like sometimes the team member may not be thought of until and maybe this is you know in the past, but they weren't even thought of until, you know, we opened the gates and there they are. And Oh, where are the team members going to be? How they, how do they interact with the space? So I thought that was really refreshing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, This is just such a fascinating conversation where we really get to to dive into the creative process. So I'd say uh, let's get into this interview with Dawn Foote. Hello, Dawn. Welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you. Nice to uh, chat with you, Matt and Josh. Absolutely. Great to chat with you. So looking forward to this conversation. Can we just start off with a little bit of your background and what you do? Sure. Yeah. So uh, my background, I was um, I brought up in Lincolnshire in the UK um, and uh, I was I was um, a little rural village that I lived in um, and enjoyed, enjoyed a, you know, a nice childhood there. And um, I was a bit of a rebel teenager. I like to go against the uh, the conventions, but I was I was very active in the in the area of um, campaigning for for environment and and animal welfare. So I spent a lot of my weekends doing that. Um, so that kept me busy and focused. And so I was a rebel with the cause, I like to say. Um, but uh, in terms of being told what to do, I didn't really like it. I didn't like to have to conform to uniforms and certain ways of doing things. I, I like to find my own path, and um, and I wasn't always happy with what the what the big guys were telling us to do, and I, I kind of always like to to you know make the world a better pay- place through some of the some of the things that I got involved with as a child and, and sort of felt this bigger urge to to make a difference in the world. So um from things like I got the 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 local seaside town close to us, which was Cleethorpes, um, I managed to get um animal circus um not to continue there anymore because of the way in which they they operated so uh that was that was a tick in 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 terms of making a difference um but I, I moved out of Lincolnshire to go to university um, back in 1997, which, ah, that seems such a long time <laughs> ago. Um, and so I went off to university um, to study photography and what they called then time-based media. Um, and it was at university where I met a wonderful amount of, of diverse, creative people. Um, you know, I, I really threw myself into um 
studying and enjoying the university life and experimenting and exploring and figuring out how to do stuff was just such a um a period of time where you got to play and experiment and figure things out um and during that time um we were able to access so many different um facilities and that the university had technical equipment different course things I didn't just stick to the course that I was on you'd be going in and speaking to the business study students speaking to the you know the um architectures teams and also you know applied arts and just basically sort of an ability to access all this equipment and all this kit that you could have access to um and it was in our second year of university where catapult was formed um as an entity and it was a group of collective um people there was five of us who were working together collaborating on projects um as a plaything to begin with really just wanting to to work together to and we were working uh, within the nightclub and entertainment industry so um derby in the uk back then had a very vibrant knife light life um and we had a really good um hip-hop drum and bass um house nights which were we know were, were world renowned and, and people would come on would get all the big names and we started doing live events and visuals and vjing and performance at these events um, and that's where catapult started and we started getting paid to do this work which was good we got into nightclubs for free and we were getting paid um, so you know we got our beer money and we were able by the end of university uh, we had what we called a techno room uh, where we pulled all of our kit and editing suites and everything all into one um, loft department in, in a student digs that we had and we called it the techno room and that's where we did all our work and by the time we graduated uh, catapult was formed as a, a fully fledged business um, and we decided you know let's let's give this a go a group of people who came together who wanted to work as a collective um, and actually create a business with our roles um, and create you know something that we thought we'll give this a go and and started you know getting more clients and you know we started working with orchestras and and a whole range of different businesses um which um yeah after a period of time we really started specializing in the themed entertainment space so um that sort of built up and and I'd say 10 years ago 12 years ago was when we really started specializing in just themed entertainment as our client list um and have built the business over the years um, and so Catapult today, being that we design and create themed attractions and experiences globally, we're fortunate enough to work with some of the world's most renowned, renowned IP uh, who trust us with their brands um, and we're able to, you know, activate those experiences, design them and and be part of this wonderful industry that, that we're now, um, as we talked about earlier, guys, in terms of it feels like one big family um, in which it's a very supportive and um, and a great industry to be part of. Don, can you share a little bit more of that crossover into the themed entertainment space of maybe how, you know, how you got your first client and then really kind of that turning point of saying, okay, this is, you know, this is the direction because you talked about kind of the, the nightclubs and the orchestras and, and all that space. But then this seems like a little bit of a, of a pivot into themed entertainment, but so really determining that, that this is, this is the best path, best path forward. Yeah, and I think it's following your passions and and as well as and in terms of when you start focusing on the type of work that you're doing. And then when you when you're working on a certain amount of projects and you realize that they really align with your interests and passions and what lights your fire. And then there was came to a certain point where we had a mix of businesses and like half were themed entertainment and half were a mix of the others. And we made a, you know an informed decision to switch off the half that wasn't uh, and to really core focus on 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 themed entertainment and that probably happened uh, I, I mentioned we mentioned before Josh that we've we've both worked with this particular client um both in, in where you've worked before and then somewhere who we worked being that they were a derby business Pixolve uh, which now are pom pom so they've uh, been through a, a change of ownership um but some of the projects we were working with Pixolve really opened our eyes to to the wider remit um within within the space and we were doing other projects and we started working with Drayton Manor and the Merlin Entertainments Group and that just built and built and built um from there really and and we and our specialist team built around that as well so when we started bringing people in the team with real specialisms and focus I'm, I'm proud to say that I work alongside some amazing amazingly talented people that were able to bring into the fold at Catapult and uh, help us uh, kick forward and grow. Don, one of the things I'm curious about is kind of speaking about your your rebellious attitude as a teenager, um, and now you're working with clients, and you know sometimes you have to, you know, talk about what the client wants, and you know, yeah. you know that kind of thing. So, so how does your rebellious spirit serve you now um, in what you get to do? 
Yeah, and, and I think that it's around um, pushing yourself creatively because uh, absolutely we operate within, you know, clients' needs. You know, we work with, you know, Lego and, and you know, Ferrari and, and other um, entities at VIPs is that absolutely we're, we're trusted with it and we're, we're working within that. But as a, we always have to think, in a rebel sense around creativity and how we can come up with new ideas and think about things differently. We work in a, a, I think all the way through Catapult's lifespan, there's been change. There's always been change. And I think that suits well to being adaptable to change and having a mindset that nothing ever stands still. You're always looking for another way. You're always thinking about things differently. How can we approach this? What can we do? We've never cracked it. There's always a way to to move forward. And I think it's that, it's that um, continuous curiosity. And that's actually one of our values is around that kind of, you have this desire to constantly figure out and tinker and think of new ways of doing stuff. And I think that's where as a creative um, and a creative team is if that's fed and you can constantly feel like you can you have things to figure out and the ways to to improve things or, or analyze things or how can we do that better from whether it's guest insights or way things are put together or technical innovation I, th- I think that's what that's what um keeps the appetite fed Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So can we uh, kind of maybe pull back a little bit and uh, get maybe a deeper understanding of what Catapult does and and how you serve your clients in the themed entertainment and attractions industry and, and uh, kind of drill down into the, the services you provide? Yeah, sure. So um, we design themed attractions and experiences. So where that starts is very much on um, insights driven design. So we've got um, insights analyst um, team strategy team in in catapult so it's really understanding from a guest point of view and also audience like what is it we're trying to design for who and why and really taking in and understanding key data points of making sure that it's uh, the creative brief is underpinned by by those insights so that's where we start on a project um making sure that that's right and informs the brief we work through from a service point of view doing the insights and strategy master planning um, concept design, design development, and then executive production, where we will oversee a project from beginning through to opening. And the executive production is where we work with all our partners and vendors um, and really, you know, overseeing who the right mix are for a particular attraction or experience and bringing in the right vendors and partners to deliver that. And so one thing I'm curious about is through that process, there's, and you talked about change earlier, right? There's, there's always change. So during that process, you know, it, it probably doesn't exactly start out or it doesn't end up exactly the way you thought it was going to, you know, there's change through that process. So how do you sort of navigate some of those changes as you go through that process? Yeah. So I think that's around understanding the brief and then those, and then and keeping back to that, but also, knowing that there will be change and understanding the different um, development process that we go through, our project management process is obviously there to guide through that and to the, 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 the creative sessions and the workshops and the, the check-ins that we have on, you know, from a project pulsing point of view is keeping things on track. Um, and that's also a good reason why we have the insights work is sometimes if the creative brief is kind of going off in the wrong direction or especially when you've got different stakeholders, it's bringing it back to the why the big idea, what we're trying to achieve um, and bringing us back to that. So we don't end up going down tangents that that might not be the right. And, and of course, there are going to be opinions in different ways. But it's how we manage that process um, and make sure we're delivering commercially what needs to happen as well as creatively what, what needs to happen on the project. Mm. Um, our stakeholders uh, vary because we obviously work with uh, our client can be anyone between it being an operator, an investor, or the IP, and all of them are a stakeholder, but any it can be any one of them that's our direct paying client. And then, but we're managing that stakeholder, and we're the glue between between those parties to make sure that that all the needs are kept from and, and delivered for each of those parties. Don, can we uh, can you give us a glimpse into what these creative sessions are like? Of really the you know the blue sky starting from nothing because when we when we walk into a theme park we see it and it's done and it's beautiful and it's spectacular, but it started with, you know, with, with a little spark, right? So can you talk about really kind of what the, what those initial maybe brainstorm sessions are like, or really give us an understanding of, of that creative process? Yeah, and we have them as um, we have different types of sessions that we run depending on the nature of the project, and there'll there'll be a number of them. Um, but we tend to meet them as like discovery sessions, the big idea session, and so we'll break them down into these different um, sessions which we run, which and allows that 
thinking to happen, allows room for the creativity, um, and it's done in a facilitated way, and it's making sure that the right parties are around the room as well, and that, that you're having those touch points with the with the different parties at the right stage. So you don't go too far down all the way over here, and you've kind of lost key key input on certain stages but um you know we might have um you know operator input early on in the process or just making sure you know that we're, we're giving those thoughts but those sessions are very much led by our um creative team so our creative director and strategy director are really leading those sessions in terms of making sure that they they come out with with what they need uh and the producers are making sure that we're getting we're, we're ticking off the stuff but there's the room and the space for the creative thinking and we have these things called oh sorry sorry yeah, go ahead good we have we have some other tools as well we've developed a um a, a deck of uh, they're called ideas cards so these can be creative techniques um and play cards we call them where it helps tease out different ways or different approaches um from the narrative point of view to the creative thinking and we have those as tools that we can bring out just to really help some of those sessions to to make sure they're that you know that they run in the in the right way and help get out these these thoughts and ideas and you can't always force creative ideas you, you have to come back and you need that's why it's like we run a session and then come back rather than trying to cram everything it, it's, it's just doing it in the right way yeah sometimes you need that that process time in your mind right you <laughs> know ideas germinate and things like that um as you're talking about that one of the things that that i got curious about was you know you go through the design process and you, you i'm sure you have 3d models and you can see it on the, the screen and everything like that but describe the the feeling or the process of like walking into that space in real life in 3d like for the first time what's that like Oh, that's what we that's why we do what we do, isn't it? To see it see guests react to what you've created. It's it's brilliant. And and I think that's that's what the biggest reward you get, isn't it, from from delivering a project is seeing it in real life and, and being able to stand there and be and see the reaction. Um and, and some of our process um is we we try and test things from a reaction point of view, we guess as well. So part of our, our process is doing that. So we we don't get surprises. <laughs> um but that that, that you know that that what we think works in a room and in, in theory that that how that actually plays out and how people might respond to that and have that as part of our iterative iterative design process. So we can kind of think on or maybe some of that input that comes in, which might kind of pivot or make us like slightly tweak a certain approach or a certain thing. But but definitely the reward is seeing it seeing it for real. And also what's lovely is when you've created something in a visualization way, like you say in in three D and an Unreal, and you've done a fly thing, you've shown what it's meant to be, and then you show it for real, and you're like, oh my god, it really is what we envisaged <laughs> in reality. Like it, 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 you know how close it is. It's it's not lovely to be able to see that. Are there ever any, ever any surprises when you walk into it in, in real life of just like, oh, that, you know, that the, this is facing West. So the sun is actually casting more of a shadow, you know, compared or, or the, you know, is, is every single minute granular detail, you know, fully identified in the, in the modeling and the, the design process? I mean, with technology now, we should, but that, that can be figured out because you can put the sun path, you can do that in Unreal, you can plan out what, what things, there shouldn't be any surprises like that because you, you do that as part of the design process and it's all part of the thinking. So so yeah, those, those are things that we, we consider as part of the design process. So Don, you've kind of told us how Catapult started, you know, at, at university. Uh, and I'm curious over the years, you know, how has that maybe culture uh, kind of developed, you know, or or maybe evolved uh, throughout time. And uh, how would you describe the the catapult culture now? Yeah, so it's really important to me and Phil. Phil, who's my business partner, he's the um, I say work husband. My uh, my <laughs> Phil uh, Higgins, who's the the creative um, chief creative officer here. Um, it's really important that we work in a business that we love and that the team love. It's all about the people. Um, so it from a cultural point of view you know we've really spent a lot of time on our culture and our values and making sure that we've got a really supportive and um uh, a culture that that people want to work at why would i create a business that i don't enjoy why would i create a business that people don't enjoy working at and, and i know that sounds really obvious to say but there are many businesses out there that that aren't enjoyable and we work in an industry which is enjoyable um and but it's putting the support around it as well and to do that it's putting that 
cultural piece in place. So making sure you've got that support mechanisms um, and that we live by it as well. And what, what we quite like is when new people join the company and maybe they've been somewhere else or they've had this thing and they come with this like, and it takes them a couple of months ago oh, you really do do the things that you say. And this is really that stuff. And oh, and, and they kind of like let go of, you can see like the weight kind of lift. And and, it, and it's really lovely to see that in practice because you have to live by it. Um, and yeah, we, we do a whole host of things and it's just making sure that the, the team are, you know, really aligned and to, to where we're going and what their part in that and how important they all are to it. We have a, a full company quarterly meeting um, and we have an annual where the whole company gets together where we, we're very open. We share about the plan, how we've done, where we're going, their role in it, and they're very actively part of it. Um, and we've just got a very open culture from that point of view. And we put in a lot of support and we listen to the team about what they want um, and make sure that we, you know, we implement the things. So we're very open in discussions around the things. We've just recently, last year, we um, became um, employed owned so we've got uh, growth shares that people um, have in the business people who work here so you know they're, they're sharing success and and it's really important that you know, we're listening to the team and what's important to them um when, when building building the business and making sure and we have the ability because we're independent boutique that we can change things if things aren't working and we can tweak things and we can add things in and and we have that ability to to, to change so your viewpoint on change really kind of comes, you know, comes through again. The adaptability aspect of it is, uh, you know, is very important in all aspects of the business. Uh, Don, can you share maybe some of those, maybe some of those guiding principles, if you were to to sort of kind of say these, you know, these are the the core things that we focus on when delivering our our company culture. If you were to create, say, like a bullet point list, what would be some of those those bullet points that are uh, that are true define, you know, definitions of the culture of Catapult? Yeah, so I think that's probably delivered through our values when we talk about our values and that kind of really manifests. So that, that thing where I talked about relationships, you know, with one another, with our clients, with our team, with our vendors, with our partners, you know, that's really important part of, of Catapult um, and being continuous curiosity and checking and, and thinking about how to do things differently and, and always kind of moving forward from that point of view. Um, creativity um, is another one of our values and, and giving the space to allow for that um, and, you know, around innovation as well. Um, another one of our values, you know, where we talk about being, uh, success focus and what that looks like to so making sure that it's you know commercially viable um and uh, typically i've forgotten the third the fifth <laughs> <laughs> it'll come to me um, okay. but a lot of it as well is around is around um people um and so mental health is really important because you know as a team of people making sure that we're we're giving people um time to to look after their own mental health so we have a we have um Plum Health, which is unlimited, that people can get professional um, mental health support um, that they can get access to, as well as open holiday. So if people have worked long hours and delivered a really like <laughs> mega project that they know that they're not tapped into, like we've only got 20 days that we've got to take off. It's like using, trusting the team, a big part of its trust trust so trusting the team to be able to you know use good judgment and if they need some time off and they've delivered what they need to do it's fine and we're not going to keep account you know as long as you book it and we're aware and we can get still get stuff delivered and surprisingly that's not been an issue everyone's like oh open holidays everyone on holiday all the time it's like not at all the team are committed they're all you know we trust the team and they just use really good judgment and you know it's things like that that we put into place that that really sort of help and when i talked about as well that the openness of of been open with the team about where we are where we're going and they're they're part of that and their input onto that as well and the role they can play in our future and that they have a stake in that and absolutely it's something that that uh that's important to us yeah I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the uh the the holiday piece of it because i've heard that that same argument like if you give them unlimited holidays they're just going to be on holiday all the time but um i think it goes back to what you said to about culture when you said hey we listen to them we're open with them we're transparent like so you're creating an environment where people want to be um so they're not abusing those policies and i think a lot of times when you see people that abuse a policy it's because there's something else wrong um in that environment exactly. so so i'm curious uh you know from a from a leadership and employee uh engagement uh, perspective how do you how do you continue that that process of the culture um knowing that you know people change 
and you know people can uh, you know in terms of you know maybe people within the organization um you know times may change you know we you know the pandemic may may have changed people's outlooks and things like that so how do you maintain that high level of culture uh within the organization absolutely and i think again listening and understanding and identifying because we talked about change and that things don't stand still. It's during Catapult's existence. We've been through an economic crisis. We've been through a pandemic. Uh, you've been through all these different things that have happened, which do do have an impact and do change things. But I think, you know, you ultimately, as long as you're listening and seeing what the impact of that change is and speaking to the team about, okay, what do we need to change here? What do people, you know, that switch from people being more hybrid working, you know, what's working, are people happy with that? And there's been a, a bit, how many people believe that or didn't think that everyone could work from home or be as agile and as hybrid as they are? And then here we all are with something we have. We had a hybrid, we had a hybrid work policy and a flexible working policy forever. But then, but for some reason, we weren't really doing it because we kind of felt we should or shouldn't. And then, then the pandemic happened and everyone realized, actually, this is quite beneficial and we can be more flexible. And suddenly, you know, those things can happen, but it's making it so the company's got the things in place that makes it easy for the team to do those things. And there's no friction there. So that, you know, that's completely possible. So from being that you, you, you know, your meetings and your sessions, you can allow it to be dual or hybrid and you can give that flexibility. Um, and, and yeah, I think, it, I think it's a, a lot of things around just being really responsive and listening. And we have, um, we have one, obviously the team have one-on-ones where they can air things, but we also have this thing that weekly, uh, each of the teams have like, it's called an IDS. So you identify and discuss and solve an issue. So a lot of people identify an issue. Uh, they, they discuss it because it feels quite cathartic, but they don't always get to the solve. So it's if we do that on a weekly be- basis across the whole team, so identify, discuss and solve. Um, and we do that as a leadership team. We do that within our, you know, each of our sub teams. It's like, if it's an issue, there's never, there's always going to be issues. There's all the time. There's never not going to be an issue to, to solve, whether that's internally or a project issue. It's been, it's creating the culture where it's healthy to say, I don't know, or I'm stuck on this, or I don't know how to figure this out. Being able to raise it and feel that you've got a supportive environment where you can raise that issue. It can be discussed in a healthy way and some actions and solves can come from it and it moves forward. And that's the bit where we really focus on is coming up with a solve. It's like, what's the next action? And and that's, that's again, part of a, it's a cultural thing. Um, but it's it's always practicing that. Mm. I read the book Traction last year. That uh, that sounds like that's what you're referring. That's that's where yes. I learned about the, the IDS so, and that meeting cadence and all that. Yeah. So uh, from from a personal point of view, when I took maternity leave, which my daughter's now seven, nearly eight, um, I read that book on maternity leave, um, okay. and I and I came back into the business after maternity leave with a fresh head and went, we're implementing EOS to catapult, yeah. and we yeah. we implemented EOS, um, and it was a game changer. It was so simple, really clean really clear um and and all that stuff just it just made everything it simplified things um and it made making decisions a lot easier and it cut through a lot of noise um and i think that my perspective changed quite a bit after being on maternity um because you come back to things with a different focus a different lens on what's important um and and it just it just it just solved a lot of things um and it was it, it was a very good good um we actually brought in a eos uh, implementer dean who worked with us for six months because we wanted to kind of put it in and dean worked with us uh, and now we just run it as a leadership team um and i met with some other businesses as well who had implemented traction and the uh eos system uh, as well and talked about people who like three years down the road i've been in boston i think and i met a couple of businesses out there and then there's a, a local business in derby that had implemented it and i had a chat with his the, the ceo there and talked about it and said you know five years down the line is this something that you still rolling with because we've all been there where you've had you know academic things or this book and that book and what I really liked about it was it wasn't only it had reason to it it was practical and it and it was a lot of common sense yeah. um and it was easy to, to to run with and 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 follow up um and actually deliver um and it's it's been we've we've run with that for say like yeah the last eight years we've been running on EOS so it sounds like your team are traction pros, whereas we're a traction yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had, to, I had to throw that in there. Uh, I, I do have a question, actually, going back to one of the things that you said about uh, uh, the space to allow creativity and innovation. I, I would love to dig a little bit deeper into that. I, you know, Growing up, I had a number of teachers in school who'd say on the first day of class, like, there's no such thing as a stupid question. You know, Raise your hand, you have an idea, you have a question, and 
a lot of times, sometimes it's just a saying until the first student raises their hand and then is, you know, is, is made to feel bad for asking that question or bringing up an idea. But in the in the innovative process, one of the things in, in many of the conversations that we've had with people over the years is that sometimes there are bad ideas and you need those bad ideas and, and you need to kind of get it all on the table and, and allow people to express the bad ideas, to, to iterate them and then get it, get it to the really good idea, that really good idea that becomes a final product may not have happened if it wasn't for a, a string of bad ideas that that led to that. So can you talk about maybe kind of creating that that open space to be able to say there there are stupid questions, there are bad ideas, you know, let them out, you know, bring them bring them forward. <laughs> yeah, and that and that and that brings me back to the value that I think we well, which I forgot, which is authenticity, uh, which sorry, I forgot to say that one. Um <laughs> which is a really important one. And that was basically there's there's it's it's been able to, you know, you, you can just say what you're thinking and there's, you're not going to be like, oh, you can't take that. No, no bad idea. Absolutely. Throw it on the table. Uh, but again, it's creating that environment where you, you, you can create those sessions where you can have those ideas. But also within the business, allowing um, us to create projects where we can do some of that thinking, whether it's an R&D project where we're trying to figure some stuff out. Obviously, sometimes that happens on actual live projects, but we also have projects which we set up where we're looking at how to think about things or a certain model of a thing that we want to understand how that might work from a throughput point of view. But we will have like these these separate projects which we set up, which are really about thinking and figuring things out and you know and we look back at it and go oh that didn't quite land where we wanted but look at what we learned from doing that process uh, and we have wrap-up sessions as well what did we learn because we're all so good at like we've delivered it right move on delivered it then move on and like what do we learn from the stuff that we've just done so we can take that forward um what were the lessons and, and putting that back in and uh, our project director is great she's very process driven um and she takes a lot of those learnings and then implements it into actual the process of how we work so you know it's absolutely uh, creating that space both in terms of creative sessions but also in terms of the process that supports that um and and allowing the time within the company for, for those things to happen and for people to to tinker especially when you've got people who are uh creative or technical people who really want to figure out ways of working or new ways you know when you're working in new engines like unreal and you know you need to give that space for figuring out so it's sometimes creating some dummy projects where you can do that thinking um or hypothesis or briefs that we can set up internally that, that allow some of that thinking and happening to happen Sounds good. In the meantime, um I'll ask you a little bit about sort of maybe the the end of the process um and and how you get there in terms of what what the team member or the employee involvement will be. For example, if you're designing a themed um, entertainment space, somewhere along the line, there's going to be an employee in there or a team member that is going to be either interacting with the space or interacting with the guests. So how um, how involved that team member wouldn't be involved, but how involved in the thought process is it to have that team member you know thought of during that during that time? Yeah, it, it is absolutely um, the case that they're involved. I can give an example uh, of a particular project we've just worked on, uh, which activated across um, a lot of the Lego discovery centers. Um, we worked with uh, Lego and Merlin, um, and we actually brought in uh, their hosts on site as part of the project team. Um, and they, they were part of when we were developing the creative thinking and the delivery of it um we actually brought them in as part of the process and then we went on to not only did they were part of the process in the creative process but and then the delivery aspect of it we also were thinking about those operational uh, team members hosts which were going to be running that experience uh seasonal staff who were going to be coming in and going out and coming in and going out changing thinking about that and we did bite-sized short videos that was delivered by the lead host who would explain what this activation is how it should work done in like a two minute video which was able to quickly watch understand and so that the expectation of what the guest experience delivery of that activation because we can design the most beautiful things but if it's not delivered and executed and that that engagement from the people to people point of view is not delivered um you know it'll fall down so we want to make sure that from a guest experience point of view that is delivered and we were look we've been looking at ways in which we can we can do that by working with the on-site ops teams so um yeah we've we've got we've got examples of where we're working with the ops teams as part of the creative process um which is absolutely you know key to making a, an experience a success 
That's yeah. cool. Uh, it's so fascinating to to learn that because you you just kind of uh, uh, sort of quoted what a quote that we've actually brought up in the last several episodes from okay. Disney, which is like you can design and create and build the most wonderful place in the world, but it takes people to make the dream a reality. Uh, and I've always kind of really thought or, or wondered really how that factors into the design process because I I can think of a number of places that I've been to and I won't say where they are, but the the design is spectacular and the facility itself is is absolutely magnificent. And from that standpoint, like. Uh, not only checks all the boxes, but exceeds expectations. And then some of the team members perhaps didn't didn't embrace that, right? Didn't didn't embrace what the you know what the guests are are coming to see and and being able to to experience all that. So it's you know it, it, it's just so interesting because they can they can really make or break the experience. They can they can take your work and they can oh, lift completely. it up, or they can they can bring it down a little too. Yeah, yeah, and we'll often do. Um, sometimes we'll have like when we do our guest experience audit work, you're going into attractions and seeing from a full guest experience scoring make scoring matrix how how it's performing from from a guest experience point of view, and looking at the emotional journey map and the, and looking at how that guest interaction is with staff, and that's one of the metrics that's looked at as alongside many others. Um, but it, it's so important to 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 tip that right, and and obviously. If you're not the operator, we're the designer, we're not the operator, you're relying on the operator to deliver that experience. Um, and often sometimes things, you know, the, the can go in and, and monitor it. There's no, uh, it's nice to go see an attraction that you've done and then you can go in without them knowing you're going there because you can see how it delivered against expectation uh, that you had in your creative vision. Um, and, and that's something we sometimes do for attractions is we go in as a, a bit of a mystery shopper and do those guest experience audits and come back with recommendations on on things that could really help elevate the experience with uh, both in the short term and longer term. I'm glad you brought up the guest experience audit because that's something I saw on on the website that I really wanted to ask you about. Um, so can you can you dive a little deeper into what that is and what that process looks like? Yeah, so um I can I can give you like the the kind of headlines of the approach. So the the full kind of guest experience scoring is where we have a system which we've got a matrix um, which uh, we've devised uh, and it looks at the pre-visit, um, the arrival, the key experience within that attraction, and then the during and the post-visit. So it does an analysis, comes out with a summary findings from the from the visit, and you have also emotional. Um, journey mapping as well so it's the different emotions that are that are caused that happen during your visit as well and then we call, we create an emotional map um and then we've got a dwell time review so which areas the attraction are caught increase having the most dwell time and then a guest spend analysis and then what the key touch points and the key touch points can be across digital self-guided staffs physical touch points and we pull that all into one report and then there's recommendations because we can identify where great success happens where there's some friction um, and we we can come out the back of that with some recommendations of, of things that could could make a big difference cool so i've done a lot of work with with mystery shopping and with guest experience scoring and with quality assurance audits and and one of the things that uh that makes it really nice and a lot of things you talked about is you're, you're able to break it down and really get into kind of the, the granular specifics so it's so it's objective it's not necessarily you know opinionated independent it's, you know, yeah yeah it's cut and dry emotional journey mapping is mm -hmm. something that sounds a little bit less tangible what what exactly does or, or uh, how do you, how do you measure that yeah so uh robbie who leads on that side of things at catapult he's devised a, a say a matrix it's actually um references the wheel of emotions by um robert pulchik i don't know if you've heard of, of that but the, that's the methodology in which he he's built that process on and speaking of that maybe even again from the design perspective are you now then looking at as you're designing something what emotion are you trying to evoke in that moment yeah. and and then how do you do that like from a from a creative standpoint yeah because sometimes when people think about emotion you're thinking oh you want everyone to be really happy well actually sometimes you want people to feel really comfortable and secure or you want people to be scared i mean a scare experience you know it, it's understanding what is the emotion um uh, you might be, have a moment where it's quite intimate and you really want a family connected moment um, and you want it to be quite quiet and, you know, tranquil. And then there's moments where there's real like 
elements of joy um you know it's understanding that emotional mapping when you're designing the experience as well and and what is the feeling you're trying to evoke with the space and the environment the narrative um and so that forms part of our design thinking as well is that you know what's the the feeling the emotion um that you want people to get I, I always remember the the first time I walked into Disney Paris with my daughter and she was three and walked in and uh, through the gates and the parade had just started and I had my daughter in my hands and she's three years old I, I cried the the parade came around the corner the music and I was just like I got I get tingles now it's like that moment of like I'm at Disney with my daughter and it's that moment of like you know that you that that's exactly what they wanted me to feel that's exactly <laughs> what they that's exactly they got me completely I'm there and I'm I'm feeling exactly what they wanted me to feel in that moment and and that's why we all do what we do. That's what that's what yeah. people are paying for, right? That's what we as an industry, that's what we're selling, right? Yeah. How, how much does that, uh, or, or say where in the planning process does that come into play? Is that like, is, is that the anchor? Like here's here's our desired emotion. We're gonna, we're gonna build it from here or is it a few steps down or I guess, how does it play into it? Yeah, so literally we had a creative session, our first creative session uh, yesterday for a new project um, and emotion was part of that session. Yeah. Uh, you know, in terms of what's the feeling, what's the, we want this to create at these, when we're thinking about that creative idea and the different elements of that experience, emotions were part of that. So this may get a little granular, as Josh likes to say, uh, with the emotion, <laughs> but you mentioned so many different emotions that people can feel, you know, scared and comfortable and, 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 and happy and all those different things. I, I would imagine that there's, there's a, there's a ramp up and a ramp down time for some of those, right? So that's got to be part of the design. Like they're going to be happy and then that's going to come down and then you want them to be scared or, you know what I mean? So, so. I guess my question is like, how do you, how do you map that just in terms of time when it comes to how they're, you know, kind of feeling those ups and downs of the emotions? Yeah. And, and I think that's when you can think about in one particular attraction and be, and like, you can have a particular experience where you've got the overall emotion that that one experience, when you're looking at a wider park, I think, you know, that th those where you have more like, dwell time downtime spaces sensory overlay is something we've been working a lot on so like too much overwhelm like people you know it's about having the quiet spaces and the the ability for you know you actually to to chill a little bit in between and and how how do you kind of like you can't be in the whole time no one wants to be no one wants to be that level the whole time um but i, I think it's about um it depends on the size of the attraction but it's absolutely looking at the the overall pace of it um, and thinking about how that knits together, whether it be a small singular F and B experience within a within um, with something through to a you know a full resort attraction, it's thinking about that um, day day guest. What is it a two hour experience? Is it a day guest? Is it a you're there for a, a, a weekend? You know, it's it's thinking about that that whole journey. Mm. And then I've got to imagine that this. Uh, you know, if you if you think of a visit to a theme park, it largely is an exhausting experience. People are you know <laughs> walking away and like you know, and, and I've got to imagine that the, this emotional journey, if you take it and really look at it at the macro level, probably helps to recharge their batteries at at the critical time. Like you said, they can't be you know happy or thrilled you know a hundred percent of the time. They they need that kind of you know Matt said that ramp up, that ramp down, and probably that uh, those those ebbs and flows of. Here's a bench, you know, the, the desired emotion for the bench is, you know, is comfort, right? And that's, you yeah. know, that's there. You can look at it from that standpoint. <laughs> yeah. And it, le it leans into another project we've been working on, which is around nature-based regeneration. And we've looked at nature-based connectedness um, and how that benefits your well-being. And if you look at a lot of parks and attractions, they are often located in a beautiful natured space, which has got a lot of ability for you to take that downtime to explore, to go for a walk, to and it's kind of using those spaces that reconnect space. Um, and we've been looking at that, the benefits of that in the relation to your well-being and actually not just it being there, but actually connecting with it in a meaningful way and 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 what that does to you um both physically and emotionally actually. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. All this d- discussion of emotional journeys has gotten me really thinking about, you know, just different kinds of business and 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 the, the things that people go through, because we're all emotional creatures, right? We all have emotions at, at different points throughout the day and throughout our journey. So uh, that part, uh, along with everything, has been really fascinating. But um, Don, I'm curious, um, you know, coming out of university and, and going into this into this career and this path, what advice or or thoughts do you have for other people that might be pursuing a career in in this creative field? Um, a, a huge thing I'd say is like join things like the TA, um, get along to industry events, uh, connect with the industry. We're a very friendly industry. Uh, there's many ways in which you can get to meet and and you know get involved uh, with people within it. And I think that uh, TA is a great great way to do that so you know if you're interested in into into this industry getting along to TA Tuesday and you know um which non-members can and and just you know understanding the industry more um as a first step um and just you know attending events and expos and, and all those sort of things um is, is really important and I think um yeah understanding it more and speaking to people who work within it uh understanding where and I think as part of TA it's kind of our role to to look at and, and and widen people's understanding of the career path into this world because everybody's career path that, that brought them into themed entertainment differs whether you've been somebody who's operated on a park or had a, had a, had a summer job at an attraction you know there's something that sparks your interest or love of this industry and it's finding that pathway in isn't it and 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 through to people who are you know mechanical engineers and technicians to av to you know it's such a, such a breadth of industry specialists that, that this offers um you know it, it's finding if it's your passion and a, and a love um finding that route in and, and joining those sort of organizations excellent that's great advice thank you so much uh don this has been a, just such a fascinating conversation i we really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today as we start to wind this down here if people want to learn more about catapult or if they want to get a hold of you directly where would you send them uh yeah so www.catapult.co.uk um, or look me up on LinkedIn, Dawn Fort Catapult. You can connect with me on there. And that's Catapult with a K. It is Catapult with a K. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, like Josh said, uh, Don, this has been a great conversation. It just kind of flew by. Uh, so we really appreciate your time and all of your wonderful insight. And for everybody who is out there watching and listening, just remember, we are all attraction pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros Podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.